Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bill Handel here and the morning crew on a Monday, February 27. More rain coming in on Wednesday. And uh, newspapers have dropped the Gilbert comic. I mean, hundreds of newspapers after uh, the creator who made some rather racist remarks on his podcast. Uh, Supreme Court is uh, going to uh, hear today. Uh, Boy, this is a hell of a case. And this is massive. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Boy, you know, this court has heard some incredibly important issues. Well, today's hearing is going to be, they're going to hear arguments about uh, the the future of uh, presidential power, diluting the influence of the president for years and years to come. Uh, and this has to do with the Biden administration administration's $400 billion plan to forgive federal student loan. And uh, the students who owe, oh, good God, anywhere from twenty to forty to $200,000. As you know, uh, the uh, president wants to forgive $10,000 of student loan and $20,000 if a student received a Pell Grant, particularly poor students. And so you had six states filing a lawsuit instantly against them, conservative states saying, hey, we're getting screwed. You also had a group of individuals filing a lawsuit saying, we're getting screwed because we had to pay. I had to pay my entire student debt. I would have loved to have a $10,000 student debt forgiveness. And is it inherent unfair? Yeah, I mean, there's an argument both in uh, yes and no, because when I borrowed money, uh, it was uh, a total, I think, of $30,000, $35,000 to go to law school. I borrowed for law school. Uh, today, $30,000 will give you three weeks into law school, and it costs a hell of a lot more. So uh, there are differences, but... Uh, Let's go to the legal part of this, the important part of this. And that is uh, the power of the presidency. The power of the presidency has grown and grown and grown. And this is in direct contradiction to the formation of the United States. If you look at the checks and balances and the separation of powers, one of the fundamental aspects of creating this country. One, of course, freedom of religion. That was the big one. So uh, people, you had a mandated religion in England and the uh, new Americans came over to practice their own religion. Okay, that was one. The other one was to uh, get out from under the yoke of King George. That's why it was the government of the people, not the government of the king of the royalty, and this country was founded on that concept. So, according to the Constitution and the law up to several decades ago, uh, a president didn't have a lot of power, or whatever power the president had was specified in the the Constitution. One of the uh, constitutional powers is the declaration of war. The 
president can't declare war. Congress says you can declare war. You know when the last time uh, the Congress actually declared war? December 8th, 1941, the day after Pearl Harbor. But wait a minute. How is it possible we've had the Vietnam War and we've had the Korean War and we have the war in Afghanistan and we've had the Gulf War, two of them. How is that possible we've had all those wars? Well, circumvented the Constitution by calling them police actions or whatever the hell you want to call them. Uh, Anything but a war. The president was able to make those declarations. President doesn't have that power or he does. And that's what the uh, Supreme Court is going to hear. Does the president have the kind of power that, in conservative eyes, Congress only has? The, uh, the president is way overreaching on his power. By the way, this goes both ways. Trump administration, uh, the Obama administration, the Carter administration. I mean, Republicans and Democrats alike. Those presidents, all the presidents, uh, just take a lot of power that, according to conservatives, the Constitution doesn't give them. Now, you'll see those that look at a living, breathing Constitution as you have to give the president power. You cannot have Congress meet every single time for every decision. So you know what the court has done? Very interesting. The court has set up its own test, this court, and it's called the Major Questions Doctrine. If it's a big deal, we're going to let Congress deal with it, just the way the Constitution says. If it's small potatoes, eh, we'll let the president deal with it. And the Congress is, uh, and the uh, Supreme Court is going to rule on that. They're going to say, we don't know how far it's going to go. So uh, that's the new test that's been adopted. However, now it's going to be specific. This Supreme Court is going to rule on what restricts federal agencies under the decision of the president or federal agencies on their own making decisions, and that is under the auspices of the president, How far can they go? How far can he go without getting congressional approval? Which way is the court going to go? Court's going to go against the president, I'll tell you that right now. This court is a strict constructionist court. This court believes in uh, the original writing of the Constitution. This court believes that uh, presidential power, at least I think that's the way it's going to go based on writings and basing on the way the justices think, I think this court is going to really limit presidential power and go back to the original intent of the founding fathers. And uh, the original intent interpreted as being the Constitution is a specific document that must be followed uh, as it is written versus the liberal view that the Constitution is this living, breathing, expanding document, which is merely a platform for which America runs. And I'll tell you what else this court is going to do. If you ever notice that in the Constitution uh, that it's the Army and it's the Navy, the Air Force is not mentioned, I think the Supreme Court is going to hold that flying is unconstitutional because it is not mentioned in the Constitution. Okay. So arguments begin tomorrow on this. So everybody needs to start planning on paying their student loan bills again. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I won't, and you can't make me out. There you go. <laughs> Your gas bills, uh, well, we've been talking about this, are going to go to, through the roof. I mean, we're, we did story after story 
about the amount of money that uh, we look at our home gas bill tripling in some cases. If you pay normally $150 a month, uh, it tripled to $450, $500. Now, it's going to go down because uh, February, the price of uh, natural gas has dropped. It's bought uh, – when Southern California, when uh, the SoCal Gas Company, for example, and other gas company utilities buy gas, I mean, they're buying it wholesale. It's not like they're storing it uh, and uh, they're selling it out and it becomes a revenue center for them. They buy it wholesale and pass that on. And uh, they don't make profit when gas increases, or so they say, or the cost of gas. So here we are having a miserable time paying for the gas bills. Let me tell you, if you're in a restaurant, you are screwed depending on the restaurant. So uh, LA Times has an article and did a whole story about this. Uh, There's a Vietnamese restaurant called Pho 87. And they make soup, pho soup. And it only takes 16 to 20 hours of it sitting on top of a gas uh, stove. And so when the owner, Trey Din, opened his gas bill uh, in January, it was just a very uh, pleasant $8,000. And it was $2,200 before. Uh, In December, uh, according to Din, actually it was $800 according to Din, and then exploded to 8,000. So it went up 10 times. I mean, that is crazy. And that's being felt through everybody in the SoCal gas world. Uh, SoCal gas has 22 million customers, uh, either is among or the largest uh, the uh, largest gas companies in the country. And also PG&E also has uh, uh, very high bills, as you can imagine, uh, for its gas bills across the country. And on top of that, look at the amount of gas we need because we're having these cold spells and snaps and we're using a lot more to heat a house. You just need just a lot more natural gas when it's 40 degrees outside than when it's 60 degrees outside. So look at the businesses that require gas cooking. Korean barbecues. Walk stations. You ever seen a Chinese restaurant? You go, you look in the kitchen, and what is the giant walks? And if you look at the amount of flame that comes out from those burners, I mean, we don't have anything like that at home. That's a lot of BTUs. It's a lot of BTUs, man. It's a blowtorch that makes that. I mean, you can buy stovetops, for example, that actually have high-end BTUs for that super heat. Multiply that. By several, and then you have uh, the burner in a, in a Chinese uh, restaurant. And then in general, gas-powered stoves, onions, uh, ovens, not onions. Uh, and so you have these restaurateurs that are literally looking at going out of business. So what happens? Well, uh, they immediately sell their restaurant and become Subway sandwich shops because those are a lot cheaper to deal with. Nothing like cold sandwiches. It's really, really tough for a lot of these businesses. And is there an answer? Well, usually it's uh, the PUC allows this to happen. They're limited. But I think in times of emergencies like this, uh, they have a lot of leeway. So what is going on? Well, uh, DIN is not alone. 
If uh, gas prices remain anywhere near as high as they are now, God forbid, even increase again, he's going to close the restaurant at least for a month or two months. Uh, Certainly during the winter, he can't take it. And the, uh, well, he's going to do it in the spring because uh, faux, for example, is is sort of a cold weather weather, uh, Vietnamese version of chicken soup. And people just go to it. Well, you know what? It's too expensive. It's too expensive to make because of the gas prices. Can you imagine that? So for Din, lucky for him, and and he is sort of the microcosm of other restaurant owners around. February's prices, we're going to get the February gas bill uh, probably any day now. That should go down. But for God's sake, uh, please. Now, according to Southern California Gas, the February prices per therm, that's how they measure it, uh, a therm. And I have no idea what a therm is. It's some kind of a unit of gas. Maybe it's a thimbleful or whatever. In any case, uh, that has dropped 68% from January. And now we're talking about the wholesale prices because that's what predicates everything. So we're, he's looking at if it goes down 68%, and the gas company is saying they just passed that right along, at least he'll be able to survive. You go three blocks away, there's a Chinese restaurant, uh, and it's owned by Hop Wu. Great name to, uh, for a restaurant over. He has a gas bill that is almost impossible to look at. Uh, it's um, a long-running barbecue uh, restaurant, and uh, they opened up uh, their, uh, and it's a Chinese barbecue, opened up their gas bill, $13,000. How do you survive? How do you survive? And the therm rate went up from a dollar to $3.45, so it went up 350%. And you're running a restaurant. And the price goes up. That quickly, and how do you survive? At first, when they opened up the building, they thought it was a mistake. This is a uh, this is a typo here. Nope. So be prepared for some of your favorite restaurants. Uh, they're going to undercook your food, or raise prices, or raise price. Well, I don't know how many are you know raising prices is. Uh, how, how much can they raise prices? And in that one example is kind of weird too, because he's going to close for a month or two, possibly. He said, but you're still going to pay rent on the place, so you're not bringing any income yep. in. It's yeah, but, the, but look at this. But the gas prices are so high, it pencils out. Yeah. That is how crazy it is. Okay. I want to talk about malls. Now, we grew up with malls. I mean, malls are kind of a thing. It's an American invention, and it's sort of part and parcel of our lives. You hung out at malls. You you went to the food courts and ate the bad food at malls. You looked for boys at the malls. Well, I didn't. Well, I did, but I don't want to talk about that. But yeah, you did. You just sort of, it was just the place to go. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, have you gone to a mall lately? Not really. You have a couple of high-end malls that are doing great, and the rest of them, not so much. I was in uh, uh, Mission Viejo yesterday, and uh, there's the uh, the big uh, Mission Viejo mall. Right. Right. I mean, it's empty. I mean, there are no buildings there. They brought it to the ground. There is one building standing, and this is where a swap meet, an indoor swap meet is held, run by uh, a few people of indeterminate uh, uh, ethnic background. I know they speak some kind of a language that I don't. I have no idea where they come from. But 
That's it. I mean, this is acres and acres and acres of land. And they're going to build a whole thing. I mean, this massive new retail and uh, residential and parkland, because that's the way it's going. You go to malls, how many of them have empty storefronts? I got to tell you, COVID wiped out a lot of stores. And people there, you can't afford the rent anymore at malls. Do you know how expensive it is to be in a mall? I mean, it's crazy making. So if you look at Orange County, the San Fernando Valley, suburbs all across the United States, uh, the mall was the place, and now it is not the place anymore. It's too much space, not enough business. And let's talk about Orange County, desperate for housing like other places. Rents and home prices going up. State laws requiring cities to zone for new construction. You know, every eight years, the state legislature hands down uh, a law that says to the counties, you must give this many building permits. Orange County, 183,000. You have to have that available. So you don't have the land. Uh, There are laws that help you, like, for example, the ADU laws. But that's not enough. So if you look at the Westminster Mall, uh, probably one of the largest areas of development, uh, developmental space, developable space uh, in the entire area. City manager uh, told the city council uh, last November. And so the Westminster folks came in with a plan adopted by the city council last year. This, this new mall would contain uh, 600,000 square feet of retail space. 600,000 square feet. We're talking about a lot of space. 3,000 residential units, 425 hotel rooms, and all surrounded by a park with 17 acres of green space. And teenagers could still hang out there. They hide behind a tree in order to mug you. Uh, That's no. It's just there's more place for you to get held up. No. Yes. That's not the point. Uh, Maybe it's not the point, but that's what's going to (laughs) happen. Orange County is catching up. On uh, what happened in the L.A. area, Rick Caruso, who ran for mayor, happens to be one of the most brilliant developers in the country. He sort of reinvented the mall. And if you go to the Grove, uh, Fairfax, you go to the Americana just down uh, the freeway uh, in Glendale, you will see this whole new way of thinking. It's mixed use. I mean, this is what they do in Europe, but not to that extent. Uh, this is where there's residential, go to the Americana, residential units, uh, some for poor people. And I'm assuming for the poor people, those that can afford only uh, $8,200 a month for an apartment, the other people, uh, the rent is substantially more. Uh, there are, uh, you go, there's a central yard and they have, um, do they, I think they have the trolley there too, don't they? They do at the uh, Americana. I know they do. It's the Americana in Glendale. Yeah, they have that. And they have one at the Grove, too. Sort of they get used Disneyland trolleys, refurbish them. They're cheaper. Don't They should have horses, but they don't. And you get on it and you drive around. They go ding, 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 ding. And then uh, you get off and you go to one of the shops and spend $2,000. And you get back on. You go to a restaurant. It costs you $300. Now, this is also for people who don't have money. Huh? Uh, it's for people, it's mixed use. And it runs the gamut all the way 
that uh, these malls cater to, uh, frankly, rich white people, uh, to richer right, white people. You ever been to these malls? Yes. It's all, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, those on the lower socioeconomic scale, you know, uh, even uh, a, a lot of minorities I don't see go there. Maybe it's just the area, too. I've but, just always thought it is. it would be death to my bank account if I were to live in a mis- mixed-use space. Because I would have access then to eating out all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the shopping whole point. all yeah. the time. And but I, that's, that's, that's the entire point. Right. Of this. They want that. That's the point and of it. And people want to be able to, for example, at the Americana, uh, they have apartments and you literally go down the escalator. Yeah. And you're right there on the, the street where, I mean, dozens of restaurants, yeah. one more expensive than the next. <laughs> and right there in the middle, they have that little cupcake place. You was remember? it sprinkles? Yeah, yeah they have yeah. a sprinkles there. I I had no idea you could spend twenty two dollars for a cupcake. I mean, that is just tremendous. Uh, they're so good. <laughs> they are. But uh, I think what's starting, and these are very high end places, and I'm making a lot of fun uh, of them. But I think you're going to see this start spreading uh, in a in a much much bigger way across the board, across socioeconomic levels, because it just makes more sense. People want to live in mixed use. The idea, I mean, I'd love to live in New York where the deli was just downstairs. Uh, they, we don't do that here. That's what Laura Ingle, who used to work here when she moved to New York after she left KFI. She lived above, it was like a deli and yeah. like a little corner store. Beverly Literally Hills she still had has everything. That. I'm sorry? Beverly Some Hills. places in Beverly Hills still have that. Uh, but very, very few. I mean, I certainly I'm nowhere near that. All right. Didn't you guys do a story recently where Costco wanted to build yeah. one yes. of these type of buildings? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where it's living spaces and a Costco Let me on the tell bottom. you, how, how big a line you think that's going to be? For a handle, it would have been, oh, oh yeah, I, I would go actually down. crazy. Steve uh, Gregory did a story uh, about uh, crime on the metro and how horrible it was on the metro system. Uh, it's gotten worse. If you can uh, possibly believe, I know it's believable. Uh, drug use, of course, has exploded all over. Rising crime, uh, a huge number of deaths of those drug overdoses on metro trains and buses. And so transit officials are looking for ways of dealing with it. And there's only one, and that's increasing security, right? More transit cops. It's that simple. So uh, let me give you a number here. You know how many Metro Transit officers there are? 50. Uh, And that's from 198. It's 25% of the Metro cops. And that's on any given day on the system that goes across L.A. County, 100 miles of subway and rail line. Now, there all are officers from uh, L.A. and Long Beach and L.A. County sheriffs on there. And they do a much, well... They're more peace officers. Because let me tell you, transit officers are employed. I think they're peace officers. They enforce the code of conduct and prevent fare evasion. So uh, if you ever see a horrific crime on the Metro, uh, and the video that uh, Oscar just showed me about a stabbing and a shooting on the Metro, and you've got one of these transit cops show up, I mean, he will immediately stop everything and ask to see if they got a ticket. Do you have a ticket to be on this? Excuse me, why don't you stop shooting the guy for a moment and show me your ticket? Okay. 
That's the transit cops. Hey, terrific. And then I don't even know the number of the other police. Uh, But the point is, the only way out of this is uh, to add uh, security. And uh, when the Metro first opened up, and I'll never forget it, I think I went on it once, and it was part of doing something here at the radio station. And I went on there, and basically it just became a moving homeless shelter. That's what it was. Just back and forth, back and forth. And uh, you couldn't get on it. And still, in many ways, uh, it it depends on the line, et cetera. Uh, There's a huge problem with the homeless people because you can't throw people off the metro. Just because, you know, someone smells like an Iraqi sheep herder who has not bathed in two, two and a half years at best. You know, you're allowed on the metro. So it's a tough place. And because of uh, the commutes, because of the number of cars that we have, have you noticed we're after the pandemic, right? We're post-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, of course, you couldn't drive because it was bumper-to-bumper traffic on any given freeway in Southern California during rush hour, which is 23 hours a day. We're now post-pandemic, and how many people are working from home Jen, you work from home two days a week, right? Mondays and Fridays, which means you're not in the car Mondays and Fridays. Correct. The sales department down the hall works three days a week, which means they're not in the car two days a week. Right. Uh, So many people work a hybrid or at home. How come the freeways are more crowded than they were pre-pandemic? You want to explain that to me? This is Houdini at work. A whole bunch of kids turned 16. Uh, you know. Got their driver licenses. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't either. I don't either. Great, great story about the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And as you know, the FDA has a tremendous amount of power. First of all, the most important thing they do is to uh, oversee the drugs in this country. Uh, and that is uh, allow drugs to be sold in this country, which means uh, they tell the drug companies you have to test. We want uh, double-blind studies. I mean, it's a huge, huge deal. It takes about 10 years. Used to. Now, because of COVID, it's much quicker. And they also determine what food is. And actually determining what food is. They, they will tell you what is food and what is not food. For example, Velveeta. You can't call it cheese. Oh, yes, you can. It is not cheese. You can call it cheese, okay, but it's not cheese. It is a cheese food product. I don't even know what that means. I get 100% petroleum byproducts. I have absolutely no idea what the hell it is. And herein is the case with the word milk. When is milk milk? And when is milk not milk? That fight has been going on for 40 years. And when did that fight start? Do you remember when soy milk first came out? It really, I mean, it's been around forever. I mean, but just uh, people were in their fruits and nuts and twigs and, you know, that those people, you know, you know, hanging around tree, getting married in front of trees and singing Kumbaya. You know, they, you know who I'm talking about. That was soy milk. And then about 40 years ago, uh, soy milk really went into the public consciousness and people started drinking soy milk. And then out of soy milk, uh, it's every other kind of milk you could possibly imagine. Uh, There is uh, oat milk and there's cashew milk and there's almond milk. 
what are the hell other kinds of milk are there? From every nut, from uh, I, I don't even know kiwi milk. I think they make them out of kiwis, and uh, uh, I don't even I don't even know. All I know is I see a whole series of them um, uh, that uh, in the supermarket. Well, what did they do? Uh, they call themselves milk, right? It's soy, uh, it's almond, but the word milk is in the product. Okay. For example, Velveeta cannot be called cheese. You can have almond milk, soy milk, rice milk, rice milk, milk. hemp milk, hemp milk, coconut milk, cashew milk, pea milk. Wow. Okay, but all of them have Oscar. All of them have the word milk in them, right? All of them do. Yeah, every one of them. All right. So with that, let's move over to one of the most powerful lobbies that exists in this country. And one of the oldest lobbies that exist in this country, and that would be the dairy lobby. Right, dairy farmers. And they've been in, we've had dairy farmers a whole long time. And they're, they've, since the 1800s, you've had organizations of uh, the, these agrarian farmers, of which uh, the dairy farmers are one batch. So uh, there's a long history of governmental intervention and control. And what's the first thing that they did 40 years ago is say, oh, no, 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 no. That is not milk. Soy milk, it may be white. It may look like milk, but it's not milk. You can take tofu and you put it in the shape of a turkey, which is very big here in Southern California. It's not turkey. Same thing with soy milk and almond milk and all these other milks. And so that fight has started. There were lawsuits. Uh, there were uh, state lobbying organizations. I mean, it was over and over. Finally, it now has come by. By agreement, everybody agreed at some point, okay, the FDA has to make that decision. So what did the FDA say? It's milk. Sort of. It's milk. Kind of. It's milk. Uh, not, not really. You can call it milk, but it's really not milk. And so, uh, I mean, the milk producers went nuts. How can you call milk milk when it's not milk? How can you call that stuff milk? And then you have uh, those who manufacture those products say, well, look at this. It looks like milk. It tastes like milk. It's milk. The whole point of this is to substitute this for milk, and it looks just like milk. So what did the FDA do? It split the baby. And it said, you can call it milk, but it has to be so clearly labeled that it is not, and all nutritional value has to be put on the container. And so... The soy milk people said, okay, I think the dairy people are still upset. Now, this was a preliminary um, uh, decision uh, made by the FDA. It is, it will go on, I think in the next several months, it will be uh, become uh, absolute policy. And so the winner, I think, is the people that produce soy milk uh, because they're able to call it milk. It's that simple. They're able to call it milk. And that's what we call it. And that's what the FDA said. It's not, you don't call it milk, it's soy milk. See, we don't call milk cow's milk or goat's milk. We just call it milk. 
However, when it comes to these other products, what do you say? You say soy milk. You say cashew milk. You say almond milk. And the FDA said that it is already clearly distinguishable because the consumer knows this is not cow's milk. It's a question of confusion. That's what copyright is about. It's not that unless you so own, uh, of course, a, a name that's been around for a million years. But let's say you have Acme Auto Repair. And two blocks down, uh, it's the Acme Emergency Medical uh, Clinic. Well, you can do that because no one's going to confuse the two. And the FDA said that's basically the point. Is no one is going to confuse soy milk for real milk. Everybody knows real milk. Cow's milk, goat's milk, sheep's milk. Those are all milks. But again, when you say milk, everybody assumes that it is cow's milk. And the FDA said that's the consumer. It's already there. It's already been differentiated. All we're doing is acknowledging that fact. And all you have to do is put up uh, nutritional value, value and describe what it, is, what it is. And that was as a SOP to the dairy industry because the FDA further went on and said there is no confusion. The average consumer clearly knows the difference between what is uh, attributable to soy or almond or cashew or pea milk or whatever and what cow's milk is. There was the same fight with cheese too, by the way. Uh, there was a, a point, but then you see Velveeta looks like cheese. If they call it cheese, you really can't tell the difference until you actually bite into a chunk of Velveeta. Have you ever noticed that? You ever eaten a Velveeta cheese sandwich? No. Yeah, you can actually taste the diesel because, as I said, it's uh, petroleum. It's it's all petroleum byproducts. There's nothing natural in there. I didn't know people used Velveeta as a like a cheese slice. I've always had it like as a melted no, no, you can, macaroni no, you, and no, cheese. No, you can, you can use it as a cheese slice. No, I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> well, there you are. Use it as a cheese, a, a cheese food dip. Processed cheese food. I love it. Coming up, Gary and Shannon right here at KFI AM 640. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. 